Ohio Police photographing our license plate. What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good day. This is the Reasonable Voices News Talk radio program, and I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. Given recent guidelines for relaxing mask wearing and social distancing and news of reopening much of America's businesses, our team of Reasonable Voices has launched a new series focusing primarily on artistic guests of every discipline in the arts to share their professional experiences and personal ones as well concerning their personal and emotional life and professional career pursuits before, during, and now, hopefully, after a global pandemic. Our reasonable voice today is actor Lana Young, living the American dream from New York City to California to Bermuda, where we find her today. Lana started her acting career in her 30s after receiving her M.A. in acting from the Arts Educational School London. Her career includes recurring roles of Dr. Mary Osder in Fox's hospital drama The Resident, Dr. Lopez in Tell Me a Story, CBS All Access, Mrs. Douglas in The Vampire Diaries, CW, Dr. Yacinta Butler in Greenleaf, OWN, Gloria Ruiz in The Inspectors, CBS, and an extremely long list of guest star roles, for example, in Gone on NBC, in Kevin Can Wait on NBC, and in The Act on Hulu. In film, Lana Young worked with Christopher Plummer in the Oscar-winning film Beginners. She played a fertility doctor opposite Emily Blunt, that's Mary Poppins to you guys, in The Girl on the Train, and she is most recently cast in Tyler Perry's A Jazz Man's Blues. Our reasonable voice today, Lana Young, currently lives in New York City with her cats, Monkey and Lennon, who do tricks. We might ask her about that. So, Lana Young, welcome to the Reasonable Voices Radio News Talk Program, and how are you today, my dear? Oh, that was a wonderful, wonderful introduction. Thank you so much. I'm doing well, especially after that entree. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I I guess we should mention that we, uh, Lana and I go way back, and we've done this before. However, when we did it before, she was the host and I was the guest. But we're (laughs) flexible. (laughs) And what a guest you were. What a guest you were. Well, same here, too. It's going to be grand. You know, let's start with, on a bit of a serious note, like many of our successful artistic guests and friends, lately we've been starting with how and what and who helped you get through the pandemic. What's your issue? What happened? Well, that's such a great question and a loaded one, but one I can answer quite easily. Like everyone, when it hit in March, it was sort of like a gut punch, right? Like, yes. what, what, what is happening? What is happening? Everything just screeched to a halt. And for people who are used to, you know, knowing what was, what is happening next, it, it wasn't an easy screech. Mm. Luckily, I am good at pivoting very quickly because this industry that I am in is so unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I quickly looked at my coaching skills. 
as my savior. Yes, yes. <laughs> I coach a few private clients before the before the pandemic hit, and I got onto a, a wonderful app called Thumbtack, and I uh, sort of brought my old profile back to life and started gathering new students who were actually going into acting for the first time themselves. They used the pandemic as an opportunity to pursue a dream that they had always had. Mm. And so it was a beautiful match made in heaven. People wanting to pursue acting and me needing to teach. <laughs> so they, I've become very close with, with some of these students. I, I teach about 21 of them now on and off. And they saved me. And not just my rent. They sort of saved my spirit and my soul as well during, the, during that time. Yes. So that's how I got through. And, of course, Monkey and Len and my kitties. Yes. <laughs> what sort of tricks do you get kitties to do? Well, you know, they're very smart, Marcella. They're very smart. And I just I speak to them in full sentences. And when they hear words over and over, you know, again, and being attached to an action or a thing, yes. um, then they start to understand that word and what its attachment is or what the meaning is. And so they can sit, they lay down, one of them rolls over, they stand up on their hind legs when I say up, you know, they come when they're called, you know, they're very social, they're like little dogs. Huh. Speaking of little dogs, <laughs> I have two little dogs in the studio when I record, and, and they really are extremely obedient, although the older Chipu thinks she knows better sometimes, and generally her nose does know better, but, uh, but in any case... What they have discovered is that when I go into the studio, all they have to do is be quiet, and they get a treat after. And they're very good oh. about it, because they're never this quiet, except during the studio. So The they, treat is king. Yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. And they recognize, you know, I go, I go in there, they know what I'm going to do, and then they come on in. Anyway, enough of me. So I Never enough of you. Never enough of me, yes. <laughs> what could I have been thinking? <laughs> but any particular importance attached to the cats' names? Well, uh, Lennon yes. is named after John Lennon. Yes. And that's probably because he's a bit of a he's a bit of a philosopher. Lennon is. He's very uh, quiet and observant. He loves to watch. He has these big eyes. He just watches and purrs and takes everything in. And you know, I, I figured that if he was a human, he would probably be very similar to John Lennon. Mm. <laughs> and Monkey is, he's a little, he's a little domestic tabby and he looks like a little monkey mm -hmm. and he behaved like a little monkey when he was, when he was just a baby. He would climb all over the place and jump and he was just so playful and it just, it suited him perfectly. Well, there and you I are. think it's such a cute name. <laughs> it is. You know, before we started, folks, I was telling Lana the things about her career and the way she conducts herself professionally have always impressed me. But I want to mention this one on air, and that is your marketing expertise, especially the way you use social media. You, you clearly realize different social media platforms reach different demographics. And it has been the toughest thing, the necessity of marketing, for me to teach to actors to understand you have to do this. But it's also been tough to teach the people that I pay to do my marketing. And, you know, <laughs> and so I'm just curious, does this come natural to you as your personality, which I wouldn't find hard to believe, but, or is it something, you know, you learn? And if so, where and how so I can send my team? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Marcello, that is, that is the most amazing observation first of all and no one has ever act, act, well either like articulated that to me or observed it as far as I know so I appreciate you observing that and asking me that question I you know I before I went into acting I was in the business world I, I was in the corporate world I worked in finance I was project manager I managed different places you know I, I ran things I had my own little business for a while and I also studied psychology, and I really, really, I, I, I'm very interested in human behavior. I am a mm. student of human behavior. Mm -hmm. And I understand that people are unique, and they enjoy engagement in different ways. And so it's just about, you know, observing who is on what platform and using the analytics to understand when my most engaged 
followers are engaged and mm. you, you know, post during those timelines. I post certain things on Facebook as I think that's what you were sort of referring to. I post certain things on Facebook because I know that my older demographic is there and in Instagram I kind of change my engagement ever so slightly for my younger demographic. And it's just kind of observing human behavior and understanding people mm. and what they enjoy. And understanding the platforms too because I think I don't get the sense always that the powers that be necessarily decided what their platforms would be, but they did build something, and when they discovered, or at least the the users of them, gravitated toward one or the other, it just seems to me that the public decided. But you certainly are the queen bee of it, there's no question. (laughs) I wouldn't go that far. I I really, I work very hard, you know, it's sort of a love-hate relationship, and I I don't like to use the word hate, but it's just a common term that's easy to, to use right now. You know, in my industry, it's important that I have visibility. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually, by nature, a very private person. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's something that I have to sort of encourage myself to do as often as possible. And it's also difficult to not get caught up in the trap of creating this persona that is sort of mysterious and untouchable because that is not me. That's not what I'm comfortable with. And mm-hmm. so the way I post might not be the way the experts, the, the influencers might post. And, and that might be why they've got hundreds of thousands of followers. I like to try to be as, as authentic as I can, and and uh, I don't mind being accessible to my followers. So mm-hmm. maybe my growth is a little slower, but uh, I always I've always had the the uh, philosophy that I'd rather have quality over quantity anyway. So yes. I will take the people who are interested in engaging with me, and I'll be happy with that. Okay, excellent. All right. I'm glad I asked the question. As much as you are glad I asked, I am, because it's a good education for all of us to hear this. I've um, I've always believed, by the way, that timing is divine. So I, so despite your bio, I don't suggest that you are a late bloomer by any means. I think <laughs> I think timing is what it is. But but share with us some of the timeline of your journey from moving to the States and then relocating to New York after you were in the States after a good while. Give us some idea of your journey. Okay. And I love that. I love the, the timeline that it's all in it's all in the time it's meant to be in and I definitely agree with that. Yeah. And and late bloomer is really just the terms used in this particular industry where when I started, I would have been considered aged out at that time Mm. already because the industry didn't reflect what the actual world looked like. They were interested in very young people. So Bermuda was, you know, obviously my beautiful, safe, nurturing foundation and was away in school in Canada for eight years and then came back to work in the corporate world in Bermuda. Did theater here just to keep my sanity and did some voiceovers and, you know, keeping, keeping my soul nourished. And then when I was 28, mm-hmm. um, I met a man who wanted me to move to Boston with him. And I did. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about sort of intervention. It was, uh, I was ready to go. I was ready for something else. I wasn't being fed in the job that I was in. I just wasn't happy. But, you know, sort of getting settled in that, in, in that, sort of path that everyone expects you to be settled in, right? You have a good job, you make good money, just suck it up and, you know, mm-hmm. that's how it goes. And that never sat right with me. Yes. So when I had this opportunity to move to the States, I jumped at it and rented my place, moved in with my soon-to-be husband, well, soon-to-be then husband. We got married and I started to dip my toe into theater in Boston. We moved. To, I moved to Boston to be with him. Uh-huh. And started to get cast in little little things. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't go big. I just started off with little things, and I started to realize that this, you know, little Bermudian actress was uh, a contender in the in the big United States, and that gave me a little courage to start auditioning for bigger things. All the while, still staying in the corporate world. Mm-hmm. Then that marriage was over in three and a half years, and I found myself with a clean start. And that's when I started really being honest with myself about what I wanted in my life and what I had always wanted in my life, which was to be a professional actor. Mm-hmm. And I found myself living in a, in a land of, of that opportunity and no, you know, no dependence and some assets behind me. And I decided to apply to a master's program in London, drama school in London. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, I got in. I, I flew to London. I, I did the audition. It was I was terrified <laughs> <laughs> because most of the people there were in their early twenties, and I was thirty three. But I was so sure that that's what I wanted to do, and I knew that that's what that's what I had that no one else had. Because when I was in my early twenties, I didn't know what I wanted really. Mm. I mean, I knew I wanted to act, but, you know, you don't really know what you want. So after a day-long audition, I flew back to Boston, and a couple of weeks later got a big fat package to say, you've been selected to join the program. And wow. they, they audition all over the world, uh -huh. So and they only take 20 students. So that was a huge validator for me. Yes, that yes. gave me such great confidence. And that's when the path began. Moved to London, did the master's, worked there for another year, and then... Los Angeles bound, which uh -huh. is a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> well, we may get to it. Who knows? This is wonderful. <laughs> I always tell my guests, if I'm really interested in your answers, so take your time with them because I love it. That's why we're here, to hear more Thank about you. you. This is beautiful. And some of these things I didn't know, so I'm loving that too. I wonder, though, one thing I do know, and I think you and I have probably discussed this from time to time in years gone by, you had to deal with perceptions, no matter where you were, but but in New York and in this business, as well as anywhere else in the world. But here it can be a little more, uh, well, it kind of goes both ways. It's either more progressive, how about that word, or more cliquish. And the question then is, and all that, whose perceptions and what perceptions of on race and on women and how both impacted on your professional and your personal journey and and also get into some of those inevitable detours and and up from the marvelous to the not so wonderful. Mm -hmm. And if you want time to think about that, we could go to a break. <laughs> I I mean I have that answer. It's, go right it's for it then. My mind. So if we want to continue, absolutely. We can do it now or take a break. Let's do it. <laughs> you, okay. You, well, it, you know it's that is it's it's wonderful to shed light on this because and it is an ever evolving issue. It is. Fluid, 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 and has changed greatly from the time I started to, to even today. And I'd like to start back from with my experience in, in Bermuda. Okay. And this is not every Bermudian's experience, might I add, just like everybody else. We all have our own unique paths. Uh -huh. But in Bermuda, we have majority black and brown people, and a lot of black and brown people are, you know, in positions of power. Mm -hmm. You know, our country was led... And, and is right now by a black person and black ownership and uh, educators and lawyers and doctors and, you know, you name it. it it's everything from, you know, the top right down to a janitor. Like mm. everybody has a job here. And the perception of black and brown people is very, very different than the United States. Mm -hmm. So when I moved to the United States, I was very surprised to see the perception uh, of black and brown people and some of the some of the obstacles that were put in their their way and 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 oftentimes you know systemic racism and things that were still sort of existing. I was I was shocked. Mm -hmm. And then of course you go into the industry where everybody needs you to be so specifically put into a race category or a category period. Mm -hmm. And when I moved to Los Angeles, it was, you know, very young and very Caucasian, mm -hmm. the casting. So let's, keep, let's put that into perspective. It was 2005. Okay. I was 35. And, you know, and I, I, sort of as a, as a Bermudian, you know, with full of enthusiasm and joy for life and has been dreaming about this all her life, arrives in Los Angeles like, here I am. <laughs> you know? Uh, yes, <laughs> Dad I know. Hands. Um, and it was sort of crickets, crickets, crickets. There wasn't really any work for me at the time. Uh -huh. it, the casting was very race-specific. And being a mixed-race person, I, I didn't really fit into category, into a specific category. And then to go to your um, term of perception, I was perceived as a Latina. Uh -huh. That's how people saw me in the industry, and then those are the auditions I would get. And, of course, that already has its own set of issues because there are plenty of real Latina actresses who are excellent actresses yes. that should be getting those roles, mm -hmm. right? Yes. So that was that was one of the issues I, I, I sort of had to deal with. 
it never broke me because I, I, I grew up such a happy person and such a well-balanced person. My family, my black family, my white family, they both loved me equally. No one made me ever feel like I needed to choose a side or who do I identify with. I was never, those things were never forced on me. Mm-hmm. So I could exist happily as a mixed-race person and be the sum of all of my parts. But then now I'm in an industry that wants to put me into a category. And I, 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 I'm not going to lie, I got a little angry at, at some times you know, for taking that away from me. Mm-hmm. Yes. And taking that away from me and wanting to place me in a place that made them feel comfortable or that, you know, place of their perception. So fast forward, and also being a woman, right? Being a woman yes. in her 30s, there, you know, there wasn't anything. 30s is a difficult age for women in this industry. You're either really young or there's something when you're much older. Anyway, so... I left Los Angeles after four and a half years, and I booked a, I booked my first TV role there in Zoe 101, and I uh, booked a feature film with the great Christopher Plummer, God rest his soul, yes, and Ewan McGregor, and then I left, and I moved to Charlottesville, Virginia, and I took a five-year break. I uh-huh. started an acting school, started a talk show, and I had the happiest five years in a long time in Charlottesville. It was like a warm hug being there. Mm. I regrouped. And then in 2014, got myself another agent, and I haven't stopped working since. And so the industry has finally caught up with, you know, black and brown people, BIPOC as we're calling it, you know, um, uh-huh. black, indigenous, and people of color, for those of you who haven't, haven't heard the term BIPOC, and representing, you know, opportunities for women of all ages. Yes. And... Now we have content creators who are women, so the stories are being written about women and also creators who are of color normalizing the lives of people of color so we're not seeing as much stereotypical content anymore. So I throw my hands up and I say, yay, finally, finally, people get the gift of the normalized life of, of women of all ages and BIPOC actors and people. Excellent. Well, I call that a very high note to end our first segment on. We are talking to our wonderful guest, the actor Lana Young. She's going to share a lot more with us, too, but we're, we're getting it all today, that's for certain. Stay with us, folks. We're going to be right back after a short break with actor Lana Young. Uh, she's bi-coastal. She's everywhere, and she's a working actor, tremendous career. She's living the dream, and finally, the American dream is recognizing her value and the value of people who look like her and happen to be her gender. What next, trans? Stay with us. We'll be right back. That's fabulous. You are so fabulous. So fabulous. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. In 2006, an inconvenient truth told us that global warming was upon us, that it was caused by the actions of mankind, and that the consequences would be dire if we took no action. Ten years later, broad predictions have coalesced into horrific specifics, and climate change accelerates. Really? Who says so? Important, trustworthy people say so. Check out the eye-opening documentary, The Age of Consequences. These aren't our simultaneously lauded and vilified scientists talking, but important and thoughtful world leaders, those who bear frontline burden. They must plan for our survival. One of the first countries to go underwater will be Bangladesh. This will be a flashpoint. Did you know there is already a fence surrounding the entire country for controlling the inevitable mass migration? Many of the biggest crises of our times, Syria, the Sudan, the failed Arab Spring, and others, are already tied to climate change. With shocking imagery driving their points home, the predictions of these world leaders are grounded in grim reality. We at the Indie Film Minute are not political animals. We only watch movies and bring your attention to the good ones. This one is a powerful eye-opener. Watch it. You'll see. The Age of Consequences. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio program. Our guest today is actor Lana Young. We've talked about a lot. We've talked about life. We've talked about marketing. We've talked about timing, being divine. We've talked about her journey, her gender, her biracial fact of life and the things that she has run into. When I first went to New York, I packed one suitcase and I bought a one-way ticket. I did not have a job and I did not have a place to live. And it's so wonderful hearing Lana describe her because I go, see, 
I remember being that courageous. <laughs> and my grandmama used to always say, once courageous, always courageous. So it's still there, guys. And what exactly. Lana is talking about today is that we all have it. You got to go for that dream because, you know, in the final hour, you want to be able to say, you know what? I did what I was sent here to do. Exactly. And I always say, Marcello, there's no, the only failure is not trying. That's right. You know, I was working on a new musical dramedy that I've mentioned many times, of course, since I'm writing the book, A Little Place Called Earth, in December 2019 and January 2020. But thanks to a video series that I was scheduled to direct in Virginia and D.C., I was working out of the city, and I did manage to get one video of the series done. But by March 11th, 2020, as we all know, we all had to stop production, and, and I returned to my home. I have a place in the Blue Ridge Mountains, which is, I planned on retiring to, but I'm not ready to retire. But, you know, lockdown was, well, was rough for a lot of people, but I was lucky because doing a lot more writing then. But I would certainly have rather been on directing a production. But in any case, so what was your first big film role after the scientists told us it was safe to come out and go back to a crowded film set? <laughs> well, you know, it... It was such a, a treat because it's easy for your head to start thinking, "Oh, am I ever going to bounce back?" And you know, and I, I like to I like to think that I'm a very optimistic, positive person who has a touch of you know realism in there. Mm -hmm. And I saw people starting to audition again, and and I wasn't getting an audition, and then I got started to get a few auditions and I was like okay alright I can get this machine well oiled again and then I got an, a, the perfect audition from Mr. Tyler Perry mm -hmm. for a film called A Jazz Man's Blues which will be on Netflix next year 2022 mm -hmm. and what makes this particular film so special is that in 1995, he sort of snuck into a party and spoke to the great August Wilson and said, oh, yeah. these are my dreams, and I want to do this, and I want to do that. And August Wilson sort of told him, go forth and create, young man. Go do it. You know, and so he went home that night, and he wrote this screenplay. It was his first screenplay in 1995. And he wanted to star in it alongside Halle Berry and Diana Ross, Ben Kingsley, Will Smith, Cicely Tyson, but he never made it. And for those of you who don't know who Tyler Perry is, get on the Google and look him up because he's a remarkable human being who slept in his car while he was trying to get his play in a theater. Mm, mm -hmm. And now he's a billionaire. Yes. And he owns his own studios in Atlanta, which, you know, ironically used to be a, a, a Confederate army base, 340 acres he owns, and it's all sound stages where a bunch of shows shoot. And he's very philanthropic and so forth. So he's someone that when, you know, he, he wants to see you, 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 you get excited. Yes. Oh, <laughs> you yes. get excited to be part of this, about a part of this man's universe. So I looked at the breakdown, the casting breakdown, and it was a perfect role for me. I can't tell you anything about it yet. But I remember thinking, if this is not me, I don't know who this is. Mm -hmm. So I did the audition. That was the beginning of March. And then I came to Bermuda to visit my mother for her birthday. Mm -hmm. And near the end of March, I get a call to say, you're pinned. They want to do a callback with you. I did a callback on Zoom in my mother's living room in Bermuda with Mr. Tyler Perry and Michelle Sneed, the president of, of uh, Tyler Perry Studios. And it was yeah. just, my mother went and hid in the closet because yeah. she was so afraid of making a noise. Yes. <laughs> and then within two hours of that callback, uh, my agent called to say that they thought the audition was amazing and they were prepared to make an offer. All right. So I just yelled and screamed and cried and, and I thought, you know, after all of this time of nothingness, to get a start like this was just such a gift. You know, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's not the leading role, but it's a leading role, and it's a role that, I, that the industry has not seen me do yet. I mm -hmm. play a lot of doctors, a lot of compassionate characters. People do not, have not seen me in this type of role yet, so I'm very excited for that. Okay. And the title of it, can you give us the title again? Yes. A Jazz Man's Blues. Oh, yes, you said that. Sorry. Yes. Okay. Yes. That's even in my, in my notes. As a matter of fact, you answered my last question. What's next for you? But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but I have other questions. This is great. That's great news. Congratulations. Absolutely. Thank you. 
Were you in New York during the worst of the COVID lockdown? Yes, I, I was yeah. in New York the whole time. What made you feel, well, I'll put it this way. I have a lot of people who, who still, well, I will still wear a mask if I'm going to go out into the general public to shop or anything. But out in the country, I don't worry about it and outside and whatever. But what made, what happened that made you feel like, okay, the powers that be say it's okay, it's safe, we can come out, come out wherever you are. Was there some, <laughs> what happened? Well, you know, I think that once we started to get a handle over what it was mm -hmm. and how it started, to, how it spreads, how it works. I mean, at the beginning, we didn't know anything. Yes. Like, we didn't know if we could get it by, you know, just looking at someone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think once, once you know, they started to get answers, like concrete answers, and of course it evolves, right, because the virus is evolving, right? So they, yes. they're trying to keep up with the, 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 the evolution of this virus. I think once we understood that if we were wearing masks and we, we, and we stayed six feet apart and, and, you know, we washed our hands, I started to feel a little better about going out to exercise and to be outside around people. And I think the people in my neighborhood were quite good at wearing masks. And our building was very, very strict about it, which I, I appreciated. And the residents of my building were very respectful of other people. So they would ask, you know, do you want to ride the elevator alone or do you mind if I hop in? And, they, you know, people were communicating like that. So it, wow. it made for a little bit of an easier experience. Um, and then, of course, when the vaccination came around, I did my research. You know, I, I, I don't want to just take things for face value, but I did my research and I felt very comfortable with the trials. And now I feel very confident, especially after having done the movie, which was also d done very cautiously, but uh, with a, a little bit more freedom than normal. Mm -hmm. So I wear my mask when I'm inside with people. If I'm outside, with, you know, with a lot of air, air around me, I'm comfortable not wearing my mask. And I feel like we're interacting with it better than we were yes. now. Yes. So it doesn't feel as oppressive, if you know what I mean. Exactly. You know, I often yeah. say it's, as terribly tragic as the, the loss of life has been because of the pandemic, I believe, I believe it encompassed many lessons, and I've written a great deal about this, that all of us need to learn. It made me remember what Glenn Close said in, in the movie The, uh, the Natural with uh, Robert Redford. Her character <laughs> says, I believe we have two lives, the life we learn with and the life we live with after that. What have you learned, Lana, from all of this? And what do you hope the rest of us have learned from the, this global pandemic? Well, it's a wonderful quote. And I really would like to look at this last year as the Great Awakening Yes. Uh, in many ways. And I, I want to preface what I'm about to say with, I, I lost people in the pandemic. Mm. I'm very sensitive to the fact that we lost a lot of lives. Too yes, many, yes. too many to count. And the way that they were lost was horrific. And the fact that a lot of people died alone in the hospitals and families had to be apart from their loved ones when they were passing. So I want to make sure to say that before I go on to say what I'm going to say. Mm -hmm. And that is, we learned how to economize our time and our space. We had to do self-audits. We had to look at what we were doing with our lives and, and say, is this really what I want to be doing? Or is this how I want to be doing this thing that I'm doing in my life? Mm -hmm. What is the saying? The necessity of all invention. Necessity is, ah. is the mother of invention. Nece Thank you. Yeah. That's what I was looking for. Yeah. You know, sometimes the universe has to knock us over the head in order to have change. We'll have little, like, I like to call them little universal breadcrumbs along the way. And if we're not open and seeing them, we just, we'll just keep moving in the direction that we're moving in and we'll wonder why we're so unhappy mm. and unfulfilled. And it's because we've just got our head down and we're moving in a direction that is not filling us up. Yes. And the environment was being hurt. And it was a direct, you know, I think the way that we have been treating each other and moving around in this space we call Earth has directly been affecting the environment as well as our own physical treatment of the environment. And so I feel like it was a big time out yeah. for everyone. Mm -hmm. Whatever your source is, if it's God, if it's, if it's the universe, if it, you know, whoever that is for you said enough is enough. Amen. Amen. I <laughs> you agree. Know? Yes. I agree. And, you know, the environment got to take a nice deep breath and just, you know, take a little bit of a break from our, our terrible treatment of it. And 
yes, people may have lost their jobs. They may have needed to go on unemployment. Thank God for unemployment. And their lives may have been turned upside down. But it's how you take that information and that experience and use it and turn it to become an advantage for you. Yes. You know? My meditation teacher says there are no problems. There are just it's just the way you you think about the problem or how you handle the problem. Yes. It's all information, right? Yes. It's all information. And so I feel also that racial justice, social justice got a, a massive audience finally. Yes. People had to be at home. They had to watch what a lot of black and brown people and any anybody who is marginalized or disenfranchised how their lives are on a daily basis people had to sit and watch it and see for the first time that it is still happening yes you know will smith said it best it's racism is not getting worse it's just getting filmed yes that's and right. that's right so there has been you know there's been a lot of work done in this short period of time because the right people who have the power saw this and said okay this is enough mm-hmm we have to make a change. And then on top of that, we finally have a lot of people at the table. You know, representation matters. Yes. You can't be making good decisions for everybody if the people at the table all look the same. Yes. Yes. Right? Absolutely. So it's the great awakening. And it's an opportunity for us to turn the ship around and live the lives we all want to live yes. in a way that is of our making. All of these answers have been so in-depth and so insightful and so telling uh, for all of us. And I couldn't agree more with everything you had to say. But I know we have to run. I know you've got a coaching to do. Before we go, though, let's talk a bit more about what's next. You've mentioned the film that you're going to be doing, Jazzman's Blues. What's the uh, episode 7, July 9th of, what is that, Lisey's story? Oh, yes. Yeah, tell us about Le- that. Lisey's story. Um was a show that I shot. I shot an episode of that show right before the pandemic hit with Julianne Moore and Clive Owen. It's a Stephen King, he wrote it. It's a, a Stephen King series on Apple Plus, Apple TV Plus, or Apple mm-hmm. Plus TV. And that was a great experience to work with Julianne Moore. She's terrific. She is. And I got to meet Stephen King, was, which was such a treat. He's very tall. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> but then again, I'm 5'2", so everyone's yeah. kind of tall. <laughs> Everybody's um, tall. So that's coming up soon. It's episode 7 of Lisey's Story. And I've, I've also, I'm also in a web series that's now racked up 14 awards in the film festival circuit. It's called Praise, P-R-A-I-Z-E. Mm-hmm. And that can be found on Pure Flix or on Vimeo. And I've also written a pilot and a show that I hope will get picked up over the next year. So I'm working on that right now. And yeah, things, that's one of the things that I discovered about myself during The Great Awakening was, hey, I can write my own content. Let's do yeah, it. Yes. You know, I had the same experience. I, As a director, I preferred working on original works. I mean, I've done my fair share of Oklahoma's and West Side Stories and so forth, but I loved working on original works. And in that capacity, directing... I discovered I was a good script doctor, and a lot of the writers would comment that some of the best lines, et cetera, et cetera. But with the pandemic, it was the only reason. I've worked with this composer before. I've directed his couple of musicals that he has written in New York. And we, in the midst of the pandemic, we got in touch. He said, I've got 30 songs. I don't know what to do with them. There's a global pandemic. I can't even do a cabaret. I said, send them to me. Who knows? Maybe I can turn it into a book musical. And without hesitation, he sent them, and I went to work on it. And now, oh, I can't tell you that second part. We, we Maybe we can talk about it. <laughs> I almost said it because I'm talking to you. Uh, but, uh, but after the show, we'll talk, and, and maybe I can share some of that. But in any case, that's what happened. I wrote the book to this new musical because I suddenly had time, you know. And, uh and I discovered, and I kept going, I mean, there are days when I wake up the next morning and look at what I wrote the day before and go, who, what the heck is this? But there are also days that I read it and I go, I look to heaven, I go, who's writing this anyway? You know, because, well, okay, enough of that. But we've got to go. I know you've got to go. I know, I know, and I know you know. So there you go. But tell us all your social media, where can we find you? Yes, uh, well, my Instagram and my Facebook page is at actor Lana Young, and I just want to say for anyone who might be new to social media or maybe not completely sure about how it works, engagement is key. 
so it's not it's it's nice to like a post but if you actually make a comment it helps the person who is posting to get more engagement it's an algorithm thing so if you join me please feel free to to make comments on my post i would love that and twitter i'm at lana m young m is in michelle and then of course my website is www.actorlanayoung.com and for anybody who's interested in seeing my credits or anything else, if you're ever interested in looking up an actor or a show, imdb.com is a wonderful resource. Yeah. I as an internet movie database, imdb.com. So feel free to go on in there and see what I've been up to. And yes, I appreciate I appreciate you having me on, Marcello. I think you're wonderful, and I really appreciate this show. Well, the feeling is mutual, you know, and we we can't let this be the last time we talk, that's for sure. Not even today. Never. <laughs> Never. All right. All right, then. Lana Young, thank you so very much for all that you were doing for all of us, not just as an actor, but as a person, as a director, and now as a writer, and as a thinker, and, and seeing the world through eyes that not all of us have seen that point of view, and we need to have it. Then we need you at the table, and we need you running. We need you at the head of the table. Anyway, thank uh, you so much, I Lana. You. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much, Marcello. All Take the best care. to you. Bye now. Bye bye. Hi, I'm Marcello Rolando of Rolando and Tresner Productions, here to introduce you to our new musical dramedy, A Little Place Called Earth, book by Marcello Rolando and music and lyrics by Larry Dresner. Here with a song from the show that demonstrates how some of us may choose to get through a global pandemic. Contest Degenerate. Music and lyrics by Larry Dresner. Where can you go when your body's debris? Curves where they shouldn't be. You're headed downhill. What's there to do when you've reached deep decay? When your kids have moved away and your husband you control. Contests, that's right, contests. There are thousands around, they abound. I've entered four score, but I still yearn for more. Once you're hooked, you're booked. There are thousands galore. Contests, all kinds of contests. Some rules require great wit. But no matter what they ask, I'm up to the task, cause I'm a contest degenerate. For some, you match cards. For others, you scratch cards. Some want you to compare a number. Coupons you mail in, box tops you collect and select, detect, dissect, and connect, reject, and correct. I know, because I'm a connoisseur of contests, dozens of contests. I can't refuse them, I admit. But what do I care? I'll be a millionaire, because I'm a contest degenerate. For some, you mail away. I love them. For others, you have to pay. I'm crazy about them to be considered in the running. Answers you make up, envelopes you address and compress, redress and bless, coalesce, finesse and caress. Contests, all kinds of contests. My friends think I'm a twit. Do you think I'm crazy or maybe just a little bit hazy? I'm just a contest. I'm a contest. I'm a contest. For more information, listen to our Rolando and Dresner Productions podcast on Marcello Rolando's YouTube channel. Thank you, and join us online, on stage, and on Earth. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard around the world. America by the Numbers, Hughes, and Ballots. 2020's economic woes, friends separated, and lessons unlearned beckon us now before drowning in Thanksgiving for Black Friday to reflect on who we've lost, what we've gained, and the wisdom to recognize the difference. Donald Trump's 2016 election was not a Russian-caused fluke. It was Republican gerrymandering, Georgia's Brian Kemp, and conservative Caucasian males' hatred for the female lesser of two evils. 
It was an overreaction to an oro in the oval flashback justification of American youth maimed and dying in Cheney Wolfowitz forever oil wars. It was Hoover's faith in privatization relegating government to a corporate line item, though losing to FDR's New Deal, becoming the smoldering infrastructure of corporatism, selling out America from within. It was failing to follow the money of Nixon's Watergate to Government is the Problem, impregnating Reagan's fantasy welfare queen. It was allowing one embittered, vengeful, pale-faced Kentucky curmudgeon, cloaked in demagoguery, to urinate on America's checks and balances. While 2020 was young black men understandably waiting weary for what their grandparents' Democratic Party failed to deliver, and those Latinos taken in by marketing in your face Trumpism, concealing the secrets in the sauce ingredients, stir-fried McCarthyism and Mussolini's thumbs down. But 2016 was less foreign hackers in our electoral process and more domestic Jim Crow reincarnation, closing darker-hued polling places, tampering with voting machines, straining the ignored. Nonetheless, we persisted. Unlike 2016, 2018 was a course correction and 2020 a putting away of childish things. Not, however, if we delude ourselves into believing America's ill-gotten swamp gains is a one-man bog, it is our insistence on habitually basking in the simplicity of simple answers to the complexities of United We Stand. It's our post-moment of courage, mesmerized by media-herd mentality, convinced by fourth estate descendants to ignore hyperbole, proving we could fit the Grand Canyon in the abyss separating real news reporting from conjecturing talking heads gossiping about a current event or two to the detriment of information that educates all on all else. Greater factual information providers have no Cronkite follower than this, that a stand-up news reporter wannabe network anchor lay down his breaking news misleading leads for the education of just the facts, ma'am, leaving showbiz to talented actors rather than a reality show host hoisted up by the laziness of repetition masquerading as newsworthy. 2016, 2018, 2020, all reveal it was us. Prioritizing beyond mass appeal, what we count and ignore defines us. 1. Glazed over by TV's stagnant electoral votes, 123,000 new COVID-19 cases hardly noted. 2. 9.83 million American COVID cases due in part to super-spreaders not wearing masks. 3. 236,000 COVID deaths due in part to unpresidential criminal negligence. 4. 545 refugee asylum-seeking families dissected by our 45th president. 5. 37,085 to 37,878 veterans experiencing homelessness. 6. 20 veterans committing suicide every day. Proving the only poll that counts, both Democrat and Republican candidates won more votes than their predecessors, which says more about we the divided than either candidate. Continuing to succumb to red state versus blue state manipulation yields only self-victimizing, because victory, strength, and wisdom come from unity of purpose, thinking for ourselves, yes, but for and about all others. If only we didn't need to label everything and everyone, especially as the point one percent of the top one percent goose us with that cattle prod every time we swipe a credit card. Because we outnumber those whose existence depends on dividing us, pitting right against left is the means to end our balanced core values. It is not radical when both Republican and Democratic governors defy Trump to protect the integrity of our vote-counting process. What is radical is allowing corporate factory farms to decimate family farms. It's not radical to want affordable health care for everyone everywhere, but denying millions this common good is radically anti-American. 
Radicalism isn't left or right, but people centered on the falsehood that another's good diminishes their opportunities. Believing in protecting the planet isn't radical, but biblical. Embracing Black Lives Matter, LGBTQ rights, and gender equality is evidence of love thy neighbor as thyself, not QAnon. Corporate air polluters and Nestle's attempt to privatize ownership of water is what's radically inhumane. Not societies working together to guarantee all have clean drinking and bathing water, safe from coal ash and oil spills. Healthcare pros and caregivers are radical good Samaritans, but not wearing masks, recklessly irresponsible. To survive presidential transition and the global pandemic, Best we choose peace over conspiracy and unity over violence, and for individual protection, familiarize ourselves with this public service reality check. Public schools, post office, fire departments, not defunded police departments, but supplementing them with mental health professionals, united for the collective public good, is socialism. It's our right to worship a sore loser. But voting still remains a privilege, not a constitutional right. Better we count like an 89-year-old veteran signing his ballot on the gurney, transferring from one hospital to another, and share in post-voting tears of a 104-year-old patriot. Because that's American exceptionalism. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.